0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dragon Talk. How's it going? This is the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast.
1: Did you know that, Shelley? No, I didn't. When did we become official? Like,
0: years ago, but we just wanted to keep it on the DL for a long time. Uh, this is my uh, co-host, Shelley Mazenoble. How are hello, you doing?
1: Hello, hello, wonderful. How are you? I'm Greg Tito. Did you know that? No! I didn't know that either. I've heard your name before, but I never knew the face. It's, he, yeah. it's not real. It's no, not. it's your, not, your stage name. It's
0: my fake face, also. I'm oh. actually a pod person. I don't actually look a like A
1: podcast post. pod person? Oh,
0: I didn't even think about that. Oh. Good call. How are you guys doing out in the world of Dungeons & Dragons fandom? Good, I assume. I think so. This is that. now a call and response podcast.
1: Caller, They're how like, are you doing? We're doing great. <laughs> you suck.
0: Oh, man. Heckler's. No good. Uh, we got a really good episode coming down the yes, pipe we do. for you today. Yeah. We are going to be talking to Alexandra Aaron. Yes. Uh, she's an author and a uh, 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 personality who's played lots of Dungeons and Dragons on Twitch she and other got places. got lots
1: to say. I read some of that blog.
0: It's good stuff. Yep. Good lots stuff. of words. Can't wait to talk to her. Yep. Uh, We also got some fun lore you should know and or sage advice coming down. I know. I should have looked at the thing of what's happening. I planned this all out ahead of time. But I do know that this episode will be coming much quicker than other episodes have uh, from when we record it.
1: Well, good. Only two weeks,
0: I think. It'll be uh, in the in the mid December. Whoa, whoa, we will be in the holiday we, like, season.
1: Out of episodes?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're getting down to the end of twenty eighteen. For those of you who have been listening uh, this entire year, uh, there was definitely a point where we were uh, uh, had a lot more episodes in the can than we had had you ever before.
1: Are too good at your job, we Greg know, Tito? We didn't know how to deal with it. Too many guests. Time travel is, is hard. It's really hard.
0: I don't know. It, it, it's hard to write and or learn about things that you yeah. can change in the past that will happen in the future. Yeah. We didn't understand how we were affecting the future with our podcasts.
1: <laughs> we did not know our power. <laughs> so much power.
0: It's been a while since I've actually talked to you in I know. person. We haven't
1: been in the same room in a long
0: time. It's true. You traveled. You went to places. You went to Philadelphia.
1: <gasps> I went to uh, we haven't talked about that. No.
0: That's haven't. what I'm talking about.
1: PAX Unplugged.
0: Pax Un- was fun. To ha- what, tell me about it. It
1: Real was quick. good. Um, it's a lot quieter than you, most PAXs, so I liked that because I'm an old lady. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just like nice, respectable, quiet board gamers, um, except I ended up in the classic tabletop room. Because we were playtesting a really exciting game that we can talk about now. Yeah. Um, and it was during a Yahtzee tournament. So we actually picked that room because we we're like, it'll be quiet in here because it's just classic. And then games. random
0: people would be like, Yahtzee! And there was
1: a full-on Yahtzee tournament. Oh and it was gosh. just like, bam, dice on table, dice on table, dice on table, Yahtzee! And then applause. Dice, dice, Yahtzee! like, well... What else? It was really fun.
0: Too bad Ryan Marth wasn't there actually doing the levels of the audio well, you in loved meetings it, Ryan. and play tests. That would have been perfect. You really would have loved it. He was on board for what you just did. That's what I like. Do you I, want
1: me to really pick up those dice and throw them and <laughs> so you can get them full effect?
0: We'll make it happen. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. That was about a month ago for you listening to this, and it's uh, yeah.
1: By the time people listen, yes.
0: yeah, it's going to be exciting. I'm getting better at that. That I actually know when no. timing is going to pass. Yes. but you got to uh, introduce the world to betrayal finally. legacy.
1: Finally, finally. I know. How is I was hanging out with well Rob over a year? Okay, he's like seriously the most brilliant, most wonderful person ever. I love Rob Davio. He's really the best.
0: He's good. He and makes he's good like,
1: games. He might be like pooping his pants on the inside, but on the outside, he's just like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, just making another awesome legacy game. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of moving pieces. Yes, it's very challenging, (laughs) but I can do it.
0: But we're handling it But I'm
1: just the best designer in the world, and Hmm. I just make games.
0: But he doesn't say it like that. He's never... uh, That's what I mean. uh, He's like just on the exterior.
1: Oh, yeah. He's very, very humble. Yeah. We were doing some interviews after the announcement. And there were some people that were like hardcore geeking out. And they're like okay. – because they didn't actually know who they were meeting with. We just said, oh, Avalon Hill has some thing. news. Maybe you want to talk about it later. Yeah. And they didn't know he what we were announcing. They didn't know he was there. And then when they realized that was him, they were like oh. –
0: they all did what I did when I met Rob Davio for the first time in person. Where I was like, <gasps> who are you? I'm yeah. so excited. You yeah. raid Risk Legacy. And I was like, I, I went nuts, uh, nutso inside. It's like the only time I've actually found it, fanboyed what, out. Yeah,
1: but he kind of like has like a, a mutual admiration for you because you send him Aww. a lot of cool swag. Well,
0: there's that. Yeah, I like to – I, I bribe swag people with, uh, with some swag. Speaking of which, we have these um. wonderful uh, uh, necklaces that we're wearing. Uh, on
1: loan from the collection of Hillary Ross. Yeah,
0: I will never be giving this Dragon Claw necklace back that has a 20 on the bottom uh, and or a 1. Which uh,
1: one did you get, the Dragon Claw? I ball? got the Dragon you Claw do one. You the Mind
0: Flare? No, I didn't go for the – because that one I don't think is available. Oh. I didn't wanna, do the thing where it's yeah, awesome. I do it all the time, and I, I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. You don't want to So I want you can actually buy both of these things right now.
1: Mine is a Beholder, if you can't see it well enough. It's beautiful, and he has a little blue – blue
0: eye. I love that you're describing it because there is an audio podcast you have to describe it
1: to. Mine is a
0: a claw uh, uh, I think it's called the claw of Tiamat actually (gasps) even though I'm not sure that it is definitely Tiamat but uh, uh, we'll have to get some some claw prints yeah, made. Yeah, uh, get some dusting to... for claw prints to find out if that's actually her or not.
1: Mine is super cool.
0: Yeah, but these are available at hancholo.com. dot com. I've talked about them before, but they're just awesome. Yeah, I you really can want see
1: them. Sure. I love the chain. I love it, and I like the cool D anD D logo that's stamped on the back. I know,
0: right? It's good cool. stuff. Yeah, I mean that's I how just, you know it's official.
1: I just like just it. like this <laughs> podcast. Yes,
0: and this water bottle
1: official official jewelry exactly official water uh, so the water bottle is something people can't.
0: I know, right? Soon. Next year, I'll be making some Oh! I'll totally be making Can some I more Can I tell you year.
1: what happened? Pax Unplugged. What happened? Water bottle. There is a story. <gasps> yeah. I was coming down the escalator. I had my water bottle in my backpack. Nice. And then I just heard this giant cl- cl- clanking sound. My water bottle fell out of my backpack oh, and no. all the way down where there was a huge crowd of people. <gasps> and what happened then? Well, at first I was like, I may have just killed someone, but I really want my water bottle. So, <laughs> I don't want to be tied to the death that probably just occurred from somebody dropping a full water bottle off of an escalator into yes. a crowd of people. Yeah. But I really need that water bottle
0: Because it was the D&D black yeah. water bottle and with it's the like red the only other,
1: There's, I'll never get another one. It's true. So I didn't hear people screaming, so I went and looked for it, and, and it was mysteriously gone. And I was mm. like, someone stole my water bottle.
0: So it turned from concern yeah, to anger. to anger. <laughs> and then
1: I, I was walking out sad. And I saw at the security booth, it was there. And I went running up to it and I said, That's my water bottle. Somebody must have just found it and brought it there. And this woman looked at me and she goes, You could have killed someone.
0: Oh, so they the concern I, yeah. came back, right? And they came
1: back full circle. I have an arc. There's an arc. <laughs> There's an arc to this. So uh, I was like, Yep. Got to go. Bye. I'm just so happy I've got my, <laughs> got my one-of-a-kind water, bottle, water bottle, of bottle that you can't ever get anymore. That's yeah. cool. I mean, obviously my DNA was all over it. They would have found me eventually, but. Oh,
0: I'm, I'm sure the convention center uh, uh, security office has got some swabs where they're taking DNA tests to find out exactly who's they totally would have. Yeah. Somebody
1: there probably had dangerous. like a pocket DNA. It's true. Kit. There's probably a board game where you can. There was. Board games for everything.
0: Did a lot of people love playing uh, Betrayal of yes. at Baldur's uh, Gate at PAX Unplugged? Yes. Nice. Yes. Um, uh, lots would,
1: of good feedback on that.
0: What about buzz about uh, Xanthar's Guide to Everything? Were there people talking oh, about that? All people
1: want to talk about Nice. That. They're so excited. Why so, are they excited?
0: Tell, tell us more.
1: They just said it sounds like the best book ever and that there's so much content in there and all of the different subclasses and, oh, my God, that cover is amazing. It is pretty amazing. So why aren't you – I mean, it's kind of a big deal.
0: We were talking about it for a long time. Oh, we are talking about yeah, but, but like, it, I the will fact definitely that say. That wasn't... On the lists.
1: What what number on the list?
0: Many number one publishers weekly. It was number one on uh, Amazon. Uh, no, it wasn't number Wall one on Amazon. Wall Street Journal. Wall Street Journal. That was the one I was thinking of. Thank you.
1: Yeah, uh, here for you.
0: Uh, it was number 12 on uh, the USA Today list, which does uh, nonfiction and fiction all together. Jeez, yeah, really? Insane. I didn't know they combined them. Yeah, for that one. Uh, so... Crazy. Who it,
1: else is on these nonfiction lists? Because that just makes me laugh for that person that's probably like, oh, like I am a doctor. Memoirs. Like written.
0: Joe Biden has got like his memoir oh, that we were like. Sorry, Joe. Yeah. We, we should were... send him a copy of Xanthar's. I'd send him a copy of everything. Yeah. I don't know. sure he would appreciate it.
1: He'll appreciate it. He seems funny. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah. Right.
0: So we'll do that for sure. Yeah, uh, so but like, yeah, it's like, stuff like, like that. Oprah had something on the nonfiction oh, list too. Oh, sorry, right. oops. Yeah. yeah. Well. Or was that the one that was the Amazon, Amazon list? They I don't know. All I know just, is that it's amazing that it's in the same conversation with yes, all these people. And that
1: these people are looking at this list of Joe Biden's picking mm-hmm. it up like, what number am I? Well, there's a Well, that we Xamathar can't prove. Do you think he
0: was like, look at this list, refreshing it. And he's like, what is this Xamathar's Guide to Everything that's Beating was. Me? Right.
1: Yes. Yeah, well, agent. he probably somehow – I'm just trying to make us like one degree from Joe Biden. Somebody told him, well –
0: there is that D&D book this that's guy, doing really this guy, well. This
1: guy, this guy, debut author, Xanathar.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Ralph Xanathar. <laughs>
1: It's got some good everything. It's good stuff. It's really exciting. Yeah.
0: So thank you to all the fans who's been uh, purchasing uh, this book and yep. and enjoying it. Uh, it's been out in the book channel for you know a long time now at this point, but this is uh, the first time it kind of was available everywhere, available widely, and so more and more people are getting it now. And yes. uh, uh, those of you who got it from your uh, friendly local game store, kudos to you. You're good people, and picking up the alt cover and there the is the way cover. to go. Uh, for those of you who weren't able to get it uh, in stores, I know a lot of people were complaining about that, a new re- reprint. We reprinted this before it was even out, uh, so those reprints should be coming to you uh, now uh, and over the next thing, oh. so we'll keep it in stock as much as possible. That's not really us. That's our retailers and our distributors who make those things, but we are printing it as fast as we can to get it in their hands, and uh, if you haven't had a copy or whatever, it'll be coming to you soon.
1: It's on a lot of gift guides, too, as well as Betrayal of Bother's Gate.
0: I know. Now we have like a neck-and-neck neck thing going on here with... oh no, Right? Well, were you on
1: the Boing Boing gift list?
0: Uh, we were, in fact, yes. Were you Tomb on USA
1: Today's gift guide? I don't know, oh, actually. I don't oh, know if Oh, we I were. was? Oh. IGN?
0: Uh, no, they, well, I guess, yeah. Also
1: uh, on the yeah,
2: look at Betrayal you. Ballers,
1: look
0: Ballers Gate. Look at you, Betrayal Ballers and Gate is just so. riding high. I'm liking it.
1: Hopefully. So
0: where were you on the nonfiction list? Where Did you make uh, the list there? <laughs> I'm not
1: a book. <laughs> okay? I'm
0: a person.
1: <laughs> I'm not a book. <laughs> I'm a board game.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, we are uh, super excited uh, that everything has been going on here with Dungeons & Dragons. It's been a good year. Uh, we'll continue to talk more and more yep. uh, about that and uh, get into 2018 and all the fun stuff that's going to happen then. we got we're, we got plans going on here. Thankfully. Um, but one of the fun things that uh, has been really great and a lot of people have been loving, and you said mentioned, people mentioned this uh, while you were in Packers Unplugged, was all the segments that we do, like Laura, you should know, and Sage Advice. <laughs> As well as you know, you. I guess you're pretty. Yes, like but
1: most people were like, "I really like you and Greg." I don't think they'd like me on my own. Kind of a package deal. That's not true. you no, are very Nobody likes me on my own,
0: except for all the, your fans on your Facebook page. Are you
1: laughing, right? <laughs> <laughs> I like you. You do. Ryan likes you. Well,
0: yeah, awesome. I think it's a thing. Anyway. Anyway, getting to let's get to one of those segments. Do you want to? Do you want to? Do the transition well, to one of those segments:
1: Here's a segment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the best. Here's a segment that Bing. you'll probably really like. I'm not in it. <laughs> that's
0: golden. Let's do it. We're keeping that. We're keeping that. That's a great way to get out. Uh, get to the next segment. Bing bongs. Bing's bongs are happening. Welcome, everyone, to another segment of Sage Advice. Uh, before we get into the actual recording of this, I want to uh, add this little bit that says, when Jeremy uh, Crawford, who is uh, an amazing person, has a lot of things in his head, uh, is saying the word uh, minor image, he's actually saying uh, minor illusion, when he's referring to... I'm, I'm messing this up. <laughs> that's
3: what I'm saying. That was right,
0: though, right? Yeah. When you're saying minor
3: image... I mean minor illusion. Minor illusion. Yes. All right, well,
0: that's good. Uh, so for the rest of this segment, uh, when you hear minor image, think Minor Illusion and I think we should be good to go okay Welcome to another segment of Sage Advice. Uh, I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined uh, by Jeremy Crawford. Hello, everyone. And uh, we are going to talk about a uh, specific kind of topic within the Dungeons & Dragons rules, talk about uh, how it was designed, why it was designed, and uh, how to, uh, you know, give some guidelines on adjudicating it at the table itself. That's basically what Sage Advice is in a nutshell. And we're going to do that with uh, illusions today uh, because these are my favorite spells in Dungeons & Dragons. And it's so up to interpretation uh, for the Dungeon Master as well as the player, which makes it fun. Uh, but I could see there being a lot of uh, of confusion uh, about, uh, you know, uh, depending on different personalities or things, how they go. So um, it's been a big part of Dungeons & Dragons from, from from a long time ago, I, be,
3: I believe. Wasn't Illusionist the, the first specialty wizard that was kind of introduced? Yeah, so in uh, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, uh, first edition as we now call it, uh, One of the classes was illusionist. So yeah, there was an entire class in the old days Mm. devoted uh, to this type of spellcasting. And so illusions have been a big part of spellcasting ever since – And over time, it basically got absorbed by what we now call the wizard. Uh, Basically, today's wizard is the child of the old magic user and illusionist. Mm. Uh, And they became the single class uh, in the modern version of the game. Right, where illusion was the school of of what the wizards could do. Yeah. And and so on top of there being that class, one of the schools of magic is illusion. Uh, And that has also always been the case going back to AD&D. And for anyone listening who doesn't know this, every every spell in Dungeons and Dragons uh, since the beginning has been has been organized by what's called a school of magic. It's sort of its category, the type of magic that spell is. Whether mm. it's an illusion, you know, it's creating some. Something that fools the senses or the mind or its enchantment which beguiles you in some way uh, or its divination which gives you senses or perception that you wouldn't otherwise have and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, even some of the school names have actually changed over the years. Like what we now call transmutation used to be called alteration. Uh, oh, yeah. But the you know the number of schools and the types of spells that are in them – has been pretty stable except for some shifts over the years. Like healing magic, for instance, has actually bounced all over the place. Some healing spells going back were originally necromancy spells. Then at some point they became conjuration spells. Now uh, many of them are evocation spells with still a mix of some being necromancy spells. So it's like the categorization for some things has been really stable and other things, it's been bouncy all over the place. Yeah. So illusion is is probably the most stable school of magic. Not much has shifted away from that because yeah. illusion is usually in the
0: title of the spell as well.
3: Right. Or or it is – even if it's not in the title, it's so obvious that whatever is going on is is illusory. Yeah. Um, although – and one of the reasons why I'm talking about the schools before d- uh, digging into the nuts and bolts of particular illusion spells yeah is it's important to remember that schools encompass all sorts of effects. Mm. Because even though we would just off the cuff say, oh, basically everything in the illusion school must be fake. Uh, you know, it's, it's an illusion. That's what the, you know, the English word means. It's, a, you know, it's a, some kind of figment. It's not a real thing. Yeah. Yet the illusion school even includes real things. For instance, the invisibility spell mm. is an illusion spell. Uh, and it – really does turn you invisible it's not an illusion that 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 you are invisible and well could you also
0: argue and maybe we're going to get too into the weeds here but couldn't you argue that that is just convincing everyone who's seeing you that you are invisible isn't that kind of what an illusion
3: that does that would be one way to interpret it Uh, it could be interpreted as it's messing with people's minds But again, many illusion spells don't mess with people's minds. Instead, Mm. many illusion spells create actual sensory effects. Um, So the invisibility spell, our assumption in the design is that it's creating a real sensory effect. Uh, But the way in which it is kind of, uh, you know, something that is fake uh, is – it is giving you this quality you don't nor- normally have mm-hmm. uh, for a s- short amount of time, yeah. uh, without yeah. without physically altering you, because that that would then be the domain typically of the transmutation school, right, where it's
0: actually changing something. Right. Yeah. It's just uh, now you're just dealing with
3: appearances and how mm-hmm. other people perceive it. Uh, and I think and illusion that, is also
0: really interesting too, because it's 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 the one school of magic I think that has a component in in our real world as well. I yes. mean, that's when you talk about magicians mm-hmm. in Las Vegas, they're. Actually Actually, just performing illusions, right? Uh, uh, or you know, sleight of hand and things of other things like that. But like, right? It feels like the most close to our to to thing that that people can go see right
3: now. And and I think because this school of magic, uh, in many ways, has more of a foot in the real world than most of our schools of magic. It causes then people to, when they look at an illusion spell, to often start asking real-world style questions, Mm -hmm. physics-oriented questions that they don't ask themselves when they're using spells from most of the other schools of magic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like often, you know, a spell will say, you know, you open a portal to another dimension and a bunch of fake creatures show up and you can now control them somehow and they also have magic and most of us will use spells like that and not even really question like what's happening physically in the universe that's even making this possible. It's just, it's magic. It's awesome And, and just run with it. Yeah. But often, as soon as an illusion spell is in play, all these kind of real world oriented questions will start cropping up. Part of that is just the nature of the spells themselves, because many of the spells uh, do ask uh, players to be, and cre- DMs who are using the same spells, ask them to be creative. Mm. And so naturally, people are then going to start asking questions, which is one of the reasons why these spells are so fun, uh, because they encourage us to come up with wacky things to do in the game. Uh, but then again, that leads to a lot of the rules questions, like what, how far can these spells go? Uh, so ultimately, when you're asking yourself, how far can I go with an illusion spell, as with anything in the game, the answer is always well. The dungeon master will tell you how far you can go. Mm-hmm. But if you're a person who really kind of likes likes to stick to the book, you you like to, you know, pretty much play just, you know, in a relaxed way and just oh, I'll just do what the book says I can do. Just let the spell descriptions be your guide, because the way we design the illusion spells is they tell you in each one what game effects we expect them to be capable of. Here's a great example of what I mean. Uh, One of the illusion spells that I get a lot of questions about over the years uh, uh, since the game came out uh, and since 5th edition came out in 2014 is phantasmal force. Mm -hmm. Phantasmal force, first off, is an example of an illusion that does not create any external sensory effect. Like if you look in the environment, phantasmal force isn't going to cause a group of people to see anything. It creates an effect that only one person can perceive and they're perceiving it in their mind. So mm. this is a particularly pernicious illusion. It's a, I mean it's – and one that you, know, you can imagine not only uh, adventurers using but a particularly mean villain using uh, because at this point, you are literally messing with somebody's mind. I mean what's creepy about it too is it's got like a gaslighting
0: type effect to it yes. too where it's like – Because everyone else thinks you're crazy. Exactly. But yeah. no, I've been talking to you
3: this one way and that's the only reality you're getting. Yeah. 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 And phantasmal force is open-ended. It lets you make an illusion of pretty much anything you want, uh, you know, abiding by the spell's range and, and whatnot, uh, that this person perceives and the spell gives some examples. Like you could create an illusion of a bridge that this, only this person sees and this bridge spans this chasm and then they just happily march onto the bridge that doesn't exist and they fall. Uh, and everyone else is wondering why the heck did Bob <laughs> just walk off that cliff? Yeah. Because poor Bob thought there was a, a bridge there. Right. Um, but, you know, then people, they they wonder, uh, can I put, you know, a, an illusion of a sack on the person's head and it causes them to suffocate or it blinds them? Uh, you know, that kind of thing. So the spell, this goes back to what I was saying, the spell outlines for you – what we expect its game effects to be, mm. uh, and those are this spell in particular has two main things: to mislead a person, to you know cause them to think something is there and it isn't, and that then will cause them to do something probably that will harm themselves or somebody else. Mm-hmm. Or, of course, you could also use this spell just for mischief, you know, you know, just to make a fool of somebody. Uh, although you could also try to use it to save somebody. Yeah, uh, like if someone. Uh, is let's say under the a, another spellcaster's beguilement and if you're having no luck breaking that charm that's on the other person, a person could try to creatively use phantasmal force to like coax someone. Like they see the thing, the thing or the person they love the most in this illusion and they run after it yeah. instead of toward the thing that will harm them. So phantasmal force could be used also in a benign way. Yeah. Uh, but Like how, any spell in the game, yeah, really. I yeah, mean, many spells yeah. Uh, have these different, different uses, which yeah. is part of what makes spellcasting so fun. Yeah. But in the spell, the two main effects we expect is misleading, whether for good or for ill, and then the spell does tell you that it is possible for the illusion to deal damage, and the spell says you know, how much damage uh, it can deal Mm -hmm. Uh, because you can make it so that the person perceives, you know, a fire giant who's whacking them with a big fiery blade or, or, you know, whatever it is uh, that you've planted, uh, that you've incepted in that person's mind. So where I'm going with this is any game effect beyond that, misleading somebody or damage is DM's call because the spell – doesn't do It's not written to apply a bunch of other conditions like knocking a person unconscious or you know petrifying them, blinding them uh, now as a dm if one of my players came up with a really creative illusion that by all rights would apply say the blinded condition
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, and maybe they're deciding to do that instead of dealing damage as a dm i'm always generous toward cleverness uh, and I would, in most cases, allow that to happen. Instead of taking damage, they can place a, a condition on, right. on a, a creature. Right. Uh, but, again, if if a person wants to get out sort of what's the design intent for a particular illusion spell, the spell tells you what it's capable of. Uh, again, with the idea, though, that you can get creative and you can go beyond that. Yeah, And I encourage DMs to reward uh, creative play as opposed to kind of abusive play. Mm. Uh, That's often the distinction I make as a DM. If I can tell a player is just really in the moment and being creative and coming up with something fun or interesting or that's really well-tailored to the moment, I always want to facilitate that. It will say, yes, 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 yes. If instead it's just the person trying to eke out every advantage they can from the game and bogging things down uh, in the process— there's still a chance I'll say yes, but I'll try to get through it as quickly as possible, right. so that we're not we're not spending time at the table just basically uh, rewarding kind of non story oriented and and entertaining play. Uh, Now, if that style of play is amusing everybody, then I'm all for it and I will encourage that too because, again, every group is different and my goal as a DM is always make sure the particular group I'm with is happy, whatever it is their taste is because every group's taste is different. Uh, Another illusion spell that a lot of people ask about because it's low level, Uh Um, minor image. Yes, It's a cantrip. So many spellcasters have it uh, and even many non-spellcasters have it uh, because – you know, there are other ways to get it, like being a gnome uh, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, again, outlines for you what our expectations are for that spell. Uh, it, you know, can be a sound or it can be a small, simple object. like And it gives some examples, like a stool or uh, footprints right. uh, in some mud. Um, I, so first off... The spell is very particular about what it is you can make an illusion of, again, but it's still wide open. Despite that, I will often get questions like, well, can I use minor image to create an illusion of a goblin? No, uh, because a goblin is neither a simple object or a sound. Uh, you could make the sound of a goblin, you know, have it com- have the sound of a goblin wailing from behind a corner inside the bushes somewhere to yeah. try to mislead somebody. Which
0: seems to be like what most of the people use that cantrip for. Is exactly. Like, is it creating distractions or, you know, mm-hmm. going around corners or, or, or something that, like that, you know, yeah. is, is easily like, uh, it, you can hear that.
3: Yeah. Now, um, one many illusion spells, uh, again, particularly ones that create uh, visible sensory effects. This is as opposed to something like Phantasmal Force, which just is just in a person's mind. Mm -hmm. We have a number of illusion spells, including minor image, uh, that actually create something that a whole group of people could see. Like, hey, there's there's this weird jack-o'-lantern on this table, and Mm -hmm. it's nowhere near Halloween. Why is this thing here? And that might be an illusion. And many of these spells will say something like uh, physical interaction will indicate that it's an illusion because, you know, things pass through it. Right, as soon as you can
0: get something that lets you disbelieve it.
3: Yeah, or uh, some of them also say a person can investigate it, make a check of some kind. It's usually an investigation check and discern that it's an illusion. So the question I often get is – how much physical interaction in the first case uh, of those sort of two ways to figure out it 's an illusion, how much physical interaction is necessary? Do I have to actually touch it? This to me really comes down to the situation and the dm 's uh, uh, rulings i 've allowed people to notice sometimes that an illusion is an illusion because of environmental effects, uh, like uh, it 's been a while since this happened, but uh, There was a case where an illusion was created in a place where it was snowing. Mm. And to me – and no one went up and actually touched the illusion but there was physical interaction because the way the wind was blowing, the snowflakes were blowing at the illusion and passing through it. They could actually see, wait, there's this spot of wall. Like the snow is hitting the wall everywhere except there. Right, Uh, And so that to me that there was physical interaction. It just wasn't – it wasn't a, a person didn't go up and you know stick a finger through the wall but they were just particularly if a group has like characters with high passive perception I'm also very generous about giving details uh, mm. to to reward these people well, like
0: in that case was that due to questions from the players like was it was it your rewarding cleverness kind of idea where like oh they were asking those specific things or would you just volunteer that information because of the high passive perception
3: uh it's a combination uh, Particularly when it comes to noticing things in-game, I usually look at two two things. What are their passive perceptions and what are the players describing that their characters are doing? So, for example, if they're describing their characters like, oh, you know, we're still – our characters are still having a fight of, you know, how to divvy up the treasure we just stole from the dragon, Mm -hmm. I'm probably not going to volunteer a whole lot of information because those characters are obviously distracted – Unless somebody has a crazy high passive perception, I'm like, oh, this person is so perceptive; they might even notice while they're engaged in this argument. Mm-hmm. In Contrast if a group uh, is, you know, they're describing their characters as being attentive, like, uh, we think something is weird here. You know, we take a look. You know, we scan the walls of the room. So it's clear their characters are taking a look around. They. They think something is up, or maybe they were you know chasing after somebody ran into a room, and then there 's no sign of them, so also that means their suspicions are heightened yeah um,
0: that makes sense, and then also kinds of it 's almost like the phases of play you know it's like if you 're in a combat situation, you might not want to offer information, but if people are in an exploratory phase, everyone 's asking questions, and this, that that 's where you can offer that kind of information
3: yeah and i 'm glad you bring that up because in the middle of combat. I'm much less likely to volunteer that kind of information. Oh,
0: behavior. by the way, there's a jack-o'-lantern and you know it's fake. <laughs> right. Uh, roll your damage.
3: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because in combat, uh, our expectation in the design of the game is that people are very distracted. I mean this is, this is why in combat, you, if you want to actually search for a hidden thing, for instance, you have to spend your whole action doing it unless you have a special ability that, that lets you do it uh, with, say, a bonus action. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So oh, sorry. Go ahead. And uh, the oh, the other bit was just then also uh, investigating something. You know, people will wonder how close to the illusion do I need to be? Because most of the illusion spells, when they have that little provision where they say, "Hey, if you if you investigate the thing and succeed on this check, you'll you'll notice it's an illusion," and so people will say, "Well, can I do this if I'm thirty feet away, sixty feet away? Do I have to be right next to it? Uh, you know, that kind of thing." Yeah. So. We didn't put ranges in for those checks on purpose because your ability to observe something in detail is going to change based on circumstances. Uh, like if you're in a wide open room, very few distractions and a, a, an illusion is prominently placed 120 feet away from you. I, as a DM, would let you investigate it from a distance if there are no visual obstructions. There's plenty of light, uh, you know, et cetera. Yeah. But there might be another situation that, because of how cramped the space is uh, or other environmental factors, you might need to be right up next to the thing to observe it. So we, <clears throat> pardon me, we we didn't want to over prescribe and say, oh, you must always be you know within X feet yeah To see is this thing fake or not
0: so that 's interesting <laughs> though to think about because I, I guess the thing that is always hard for me to 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 be the dungeon master when people are using a lot of images or if even mind my, myself and using illusions when do, How do you deal with it when the player knows it 's an illusion but the character doesn 't or vice versa? You know, mm. because there's, mm-hmm. there, there it's it's you're almost inherently metagame <coughs> with illusions, me. uh, uh, and it, it makes it harder to kind of, you know, is it just a dice? Is it just more of a feel thing? Like, how, how would you deal with that?
3: For me, the, this is very similar to when, uh, say, a character is is being mind controlled or charmed by a monster, and the player knows it, but they play their character. You know, like their character doesn't know it, mm. uh, and so to me d and d often has that going on where the players know something the the characters don't, and also actually vice versa, the characters know many things we don 't know, right, uh, which is why we have you know things like intelligence checks, history arcana religion, et cetera, to figure out well, even though I as a player don't know this. There's a good chance my character might know it. Right, because it's cultural or things like that, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. And so, so you think it's okay for an illusion to be like, all right, well, I, I, maybe I'm giving away signals that it's an illusion as a dungeon master, but your char- you, I, you got to trust your players that they're playing their characters in a way that, that they wouldn't know it.
3: And absolutely. And I, as a DM, am uh, pretty much never disturbed if I see my players having their characters act in a way uh, based on the player's hunch uh, because it's almost like, you know, in the real world, we will sometimes have instinctual hunches about something, or that moment where you feel like someone's looking at you. You turn around, and sure enough, there was someone looking at you. Like, yeah. why do we have those moments? Like, why, you know, are we? We're convinced for some reason. I think my mom is about to call. Uh, ring, ring. Uh, so we have these uncanny moments in our in real life. And so the way I rationalize it in D&D is that sometimes when the characters do things that are being fueled by player meta knowledge, it's basically the players are the ones triggering those moments for mm. the character that like the character just suddenly has that odd feeling of someone's looking at me. Huh, I uh, might be in a game. Yeah. <laughs> right. Someone could be controlling yes, me. Yes, yeah. it turns out we are in the Matrix. I've <laughs> <laughs> been the whole time. Because, uh. Yeah, because when we have those moments in real life, it's when our players <laughs> are using their metagame knowledge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so I think, again, it's fine, particularly because most of the time as DMs, we don't want to obstruct adventurers' progress. Uh, if we're the ones using illusions, we want to make their progress interesting. Right. Uh, that's I think that's a distinction that, uh, that it can be easy to lose sight of sometimes. That when we put in traps and monsters and illusions and puzzles and whatnot, our goal is not to stop the action. Our goal is not to oh you know you can't go any further. The goal is, no, we want you to go further. We want you to have fun. The whole point of an adventure is to see scary and wondrous things. Right. So we just want that adventure to be filled with scary and wondrous things and things that puzzle you and uh, give things
0: you – that are not as – As you perceive them to be at
3: first glance. Exactly. Yeah. Because my advice to a DM is if they actually don't want their players to go somewhere, don't put it in front of them. (laughs) Uh, I mean, because pretty much if you put something in front of your players, uh, often there is a good chance they will eventually chase after it. Uh, Unless you have one of those groups that somehow has the knack to always do exactly the opposite of whatever it is you put in front of them. (laughs) But that's a a different challenge for a dungeon
0: master. Right. And then, you know, you get used to that uh, uh, type of play. And then all of a sudden, they choose the thing that you put in front. Oh no, you are doing! <laughs> <Dang it. laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, so, um, what about more powerful illusion magic, uh, and how that can be? So used? we have,
3: yeah, we have some illusions, uh, the really high level ones that create uh, uh, visible illusions out in the world, but with things you can actually physically interact with. Like so that this that's where it gets sort of like matrix level illusion magic, where the the people. You know, even touching it doesn't tell you it's fake, right? Uh, which is awesome, and and that's but it's high level precisely because uh, you're you're creating semi-real things. Uh, often, the question that comes up most often with those sorts of illusions is what is it like to experience those things if you know it's an illusion? Mm. And typically, the spell will tell you what happens. Uh, like, you you still vaguely see the illusion, but it has sort of a spectral form. Um, another question I get, not just about those high-level illusions, but actually about all illusions, is what does it look like to the spellcaster? Mm. Uh, you know, no, the, I never
0: considered that. Yeah,
3: because the spellcaster knows it's an illusion. Right. Uh, so... The way I imagine it is that especially if you're creating a a visible thing out in the world, uh, the spellcaster also sees it. Uh, if the spellcaster didn't see it, we would tell you that in the spell. Mm. Um, so you also see it. But obviously, you know it's an illusion. Uh, so I kind of imagine that it would, there would be kind of a strange flicker to it mm. uh, that that like to you – Unlike to the people who are being fooled by it where it it has – it seems like it has full dimension and is occupying its space like a real thing. I imagine that for me, if I was the spellcaster, it would almost look like a two-dimensional thing. Like I created an illusion of a stool. You might see it as a three-dimensional stool where I – to me, it would almost look like an illustration of a stool. That's just in that position. That's just in that space. Yeah. Uh, So have you ever –
0: I feel like I've done this before when people uh, uh, succeed on a check to disbelieve uh, an illusion. Sometimes they'll just say like, oh, it disappeared. It's no longer there. Is that valid or is that – is it just like your your mind knows it's not there so they – or is
3: it – So it depends on the spell uh, Mm. and the spell will tell you. Some illusion spells, if you see through them, the spell will tell you the spell ends Mm. Uh, or – It ends for a particular person, so you know they might not see that thing anymore, but everyone else does who's still affected by it. But then there are others that say even if you figure out it's an illusion, you still see it, but in this kind of spectral, fake way. Right. Uh, So it's almost like it's like it becomes a cartoon to you. Oh, I know that's not real. It's like this this weird overlay on the real world uh, that's there. Uh, and that you can that, and often we say it 's spectral with this idea that you could like see through it mm. so that, that makes it, sense so it 's no longer you know fully obstructing your vision and, and whatnot, again, depending on the particular illusion spell
0: right um, one thing I always used illusions for, and this was when I was playing a lot of a D and d was casting a, an illusion over the party, like mm-hmm. basically so like we 're trying to sneak around and we 're going to say we're casting a dust cloud or, or, you know, oh, it's nothing. It's just, it's basically a see-through transparency and you, what you can't, you know, you, it's up to the spellcaster to be like, oh, that's the bush and that's the tree and like, you know, move it
3: along with mm-hmm. there. Is that viable with a spell? So, some of the illusion spells we have do allow uh, that kind of casting, absolutely. Uh, I mean, that was something years ago I did with my wizard for our group. I remember there was a point where we suddenly had a run-in with an orc army and there were like hundreds of them and our little group, there's no way we could have survived. So uh, I don't remember which particular illusion spell I used because this was, again, many years ago and several editions yeah. ago. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I called up an illusion of a little grove of trees and we hit, a, hit in it and while, this, yeah, while this army yeah. uh, went by. Uh, so yeah, we That's have cool. illusion spells uh, that would do that sort of thing. Certainly not like minor image, uh, but some of the higher level ones, absolutely. Uh, you can hide behind the objects. Uh, speaking of behind or near, people sometimes will ask me, well, do illusions cast shadows? Mm. Uh, this, again, depends on the illusion spell. So some of the later illusions, the ones uh, that actually create things uh, that are almost semi-real, uh, those things would certainly cast shadows. But if you're talking about something like minor image where it specifies you know, you create this simple object, and it and the spell says you know it can't have any other kind of sensory phenomenon, no moving parts. So you can think of you know like shadows basically are it's a kind of a sensory phenomenon, and uh, and and since there's no movement, it means if like suddenly a light source is changing. moving around your illusory stool, an observant person would notice the shadows aren't changing. Yeah. Uh, and, and then suddenly you would realize, oh yeah, this is, this thing is a fake. Um, and so people then also will ask me often with minor image, can I use it to create a mirror? Uh, well, you could create an object that looks like a mirror, but the image in it couldn't move. Mm. Uh, so people would be able to figure out depending on the angle they're looking at it, uh, if it was actually a mirror or not, uh, Because I can imagine creating the illusion of a mirror that let's say is hanging in the wall of a bedroom Mm. and in the illusion you could have what's in the room. And so if you looked at at it from the side, it might look like a legit mirror uh, because – what you can see in the mirror seems to match what's in the room. But as soon as you walked over in front of it, you'd realize, wait, I'm not in the mirror. So either the mirror is fake or enchanted or I became a vampire and I didn't know it <laughs> because, because I'm, not, I'm not appearing. Both of which are possible. Yeah, because I, I'm not appearing <laughs> in this mirror.
0: Nice. So, I mean, it depends on the, on the level of the illusion spell, but it wouldn't change based on something else. If, if, if the wizard who cast the spell was, was directing it in some way then it could potentially change. It,
3: it, yeah, and again, that depends on the spell because some of our illusion spells allow you to put in different like sensory phenomena. They allow the illusion to move. Yeah. Uh, some of them, the spellcaster can basically pre-program them to behave in particular ways. So really, as you go up th- through the levels with illusions, the, the authenticity of, of the illusion uh, increases. Mm. Um, until, again, you get to the point where the things are actually semi-real. Right, right.
0: Uh, one final question, then I have a Lark question. Uh, so uh, you mentioned a little bit in combat, uh, mm-hmm. things like that, mm-hmm. uh, how people are distracted. Illusions would still work. I know flanking is not necessarily in the game, but would an illusion of another combatant in uh, a fight uh, uh, give all the benefits of that happening uh, if it was believed by the,
3: the, the, the enemy? So uh, here's another... G- Great example of look to the particular illusion spell or illusion effect, uh, see what game effects are outlined there, and that's what we expect that illusion to be able to do. Mm. So uh, there's a great example of an illusion effect that sort of does what you're talking about, and that is uh, the trickster cleric's illusory duplicate ability, uh, which again, it doesn't do flanking in sort of third edition or fourth edition style. Uh, but we made it so that this thing is really distracting, mm-hmm. uh, and its whole point is to be distracting. It has some other effects as well, um, and it it is there just to mess with people, even if they know it's an illusion. And that's actually a great example of even knowing it's an illusion doesn't help make it any less distracting, right? Uh, because the the thing is basically like you know, waving in your, your face while you're trying to focus on something else. And even if I know that thing waving in my face is fake, like if you imagine sometimes being in a room with a giant TV screen right. with stuff flashing on it. It's hard not to be looking at it Even constantly. if it's a show you have no interest in watching.
0: It, Usually because it is a show you have no interest in watching. <laughs> right, yeah. it's
3: still distracting. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, okay, and then the final thing is, I know a lot of bard spells uh, kind of go this way, but I always had this idea, uh, especially once you mentioned the the more uh, complex illusion spells, are able to be pre-programmed and uh, uh, can almost appear real. Has there ever, to your knowledge, been a playwright spell where you could create Mm. an illusion that would do a story for two hours and uh, uh, people would buy tickets to go watch that (laughs) illusion and uh, have that proliferate throughout the Forgotten Realms?
3: So... Oh, wow. It probably has been done in the Forgotten Realms. I can't think of a specific example, but I have definitely had that sort of thing happen in my games. Yeah. Not a, full, not a you know, full-length play, but I definitely have had like, street performers who use illusions to amuse people. Because uh, you can imagine that in uh, pretty much any D&D world, if you're in a large enough city to have a, a spellcaster capable of casting some of these illusions – that they could actually make a lot of money putting on some amazing shows yeah, uh, yeah. because cuz th- especially the the really high level spells that let you create semi real things at that point where it's like the holodeck in star trek the next generation right. you're making
0: have, cg nope. happen in front of your eyes yeah
3: so you and you could have some really neat adventures actually based on some of these spells like maybe there was this illusionist and had a, a large clientele of mostly nobles and, and rich merchants who would pay this illusionist just to make these, you know, crazy realistic illusions for them to vanish into for hours at a time. Yeah. Uh, but then something happened to them. You know, Where did they go? Right. You know? and, then you, and it they, went dark. Yes. You
0: know, so, something happened that was yeah. not what I w- paid for. And,
3: yeah. Yeah, and, and that could be the adventurers. Gosh,
0: you can get some like total recall type things going on yeah. there too. You're like, is this yeah. really what I – am I in the mm-hmm. adventure for reals? Yep. It, yeah, I don't know. God, that's really fun. Uh, I just love the idea of, a, of a, a theater professional being an illusionist because I think that makes – if, if that isn't a profession yet in a fantasy world, why isn't it?
3: Yeah, and I think often people will use the illusions, uh, again, to deceive people. But I, I can imagine that there would be performers in D&D worlds... Who would be very open about the fact that their show is, is crafted with, you know, the finest illusion magic. And that's why people would go. Because, yeah. oh, I can go safely see this dragon breathe fire on people in the front row and, like, no one will be harmed. Yeah, you, know? be,
0: you don't even have to put the plastic sheeting up like you're in a Gallagher <laughs> performance or anything like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Right, that makes perfect sense. Any other no. uh, 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 questions or, or, or things that people come up about illusions that we haven't yet covered?
3: Uh, let me see. Um, one thing actually would be good for me to dispel uh, is uh, sometimes because of previous editions, uh, I think people imagine there are general rules about illusions somewhere, but they just can't find them. Almost like they're illusions. They're hiding in the books. I know I've seen it before. Uh, yes. So, that, so an important thing for people to know is there are actually no general rules about illusions. Oh. Uh, they're, uh, the, the illusions just follow the the. Normal spell casting rules, if they're spells, uh, um, and whatever, whatever their source—whether it's a spell, a magic item, or a class feature or a monster ability—an illusion, like other effects in the game, just does what its text says it does. Mm. And and we did that to try to keep things as simple as possible. Uh, we didn't want we didn't want DMs and players. For particularly this one school of magic to have to remember a bunch of rules in addition to whatever it is the spell says it does. And we definitely did err on the side of keeping things pretty open-ended, you know, hence the questions that we do get. Mm. But again, I want to put people's minds at ease. There's not some rule they're missing. um, And also if they played previous editions that have those rules uh, in many ways, you can feel liberated because you don't need to follow those rules. Yeah. Uh, although those rules often had some great adjudication advice, so I mean, I sometimes even have fun reading illusion adjudication advice from previous editions. Right, uh, that makes sense. But but ultimately, we went with this approach of just let each spell uh, say what it does. And also, I, I often like to do these sort of behind the curtain behind the curtains thing. We actually drafted an illusion section for the fifth edition player's handbook. Oh, really? And I ended up canning it. And what's funny is I almost resurrected it for Xanathar's guide, and it canned it again <laughs> 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 because uh, because uh, and even though I wrote a good good portion of it, I felt again it would mostly bind DM's hands rather than empowering them. Right. Uh, and I really like the approach of. Here are these few concrete things where if, if you just play the illusion by the book, you're going to have fun. Mm-hmm. But leave it open-ended enough where if you want to go further, go for it. You can do that too. And you can be creative and we're encouraging this creativity. Uh, because one of the things to keep in mind, people get sometimes worried, oh my gosh, this illusion is going to be too powerful. Many of our illusions uh, have... In, in many ways, like a single point of failure. So when you think the illusion is 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 going to be out of control, many of them it's like one check or one saving throw, and everyone knows it's bogus. Yeah. So it's like as crazy powerful as it seemed. It's like one guy like nah, it's a fake, and everyone goes they poke their finger. Yep, it's a fake. It's okay, fake, so right. much for that high level illusion.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's very easy to 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 put the pinprick in the balloon and yeah. have it all,
3: you know, yeah. deflate. Oh, that actually reminds me. Um, people will sometimes ask, well, let's say. Let's say one member of the group. Uh, we'll, we'll call her Cassandra. She figures out, figures it, it. It's an illusion, and even tells everybody, "Hey, it's an illusion." Do they all now know automatically it's an illusion? They don't. Mm. Uh, they, the The spells very specifically say, you know, a person has to like physically interact with it or observe physical interaction, uh, or make this check themselves. Because then we want these these weird situations where uh, you start suspecting your own sanity. Because and I picked Cassandra's name for a reason because she you know was the prophet who would say this thing is coming and no one would believe her. So Cassandra might might say no 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 really the thing is an illusion. And they're like no that's no, no. come well, on how, what what did you drink right uh, because they might all fail their check and no it's. That thing's real. Now, of course, if then one of them goes up and tries to lean on it, and they fall right through it. Oh, whoops. Cassandra was right again.
0: But if someone – so what if someone watches Cassandra do that? Then they disbelieve?
3: Yeah. So let's say say someone observed – like if we tell you physical interaction shows that it is fake. If I observe you fall through that wall – even though I didn't physically interact with it, I observed right. physical interaction. So I now know it. It's either an illusion or some crazy phased wall that so we can walk through. So it's not just the
0: character's physical interaction. It's observing physical interaction yeah. is what causes yeah. that's, the disbelief.
3: That, and that's, that's really the intent. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I said, you know, I'm even generous of... You know, observing things like snow right. is, oh, wait, that snow isn't actually hitting the wall in that one spot. That makes sense. Yeah. Or or often, especially where this would happen, would be with, like, the illusion of a creature uh, in an environmental effect and noticing the creature is not interacting with the environment in a way you would expect.
0: That kitten is not catching snowflakes on its <laughs> tongue. That is not a real kitten.
3: <laughs> right. <laughs> or uh, actually another example of how I um, – why illusions can be fun because you can you plant seeds of doubt in people's minds. I have before described an illusory creature walking through a fog bank and, and the players suddenly notice, wait, the fog isn't billowing around them. They're just passing right through it. Yeah. And what's fun is often the first conclusion uh, they will jump to is it's a ghost. <laughs> so – so if DMs are afraid, well, if, if I give these descriptions, you know, to show that something's odd, aren't I just giving away that it's an illusion? No, because right. often they'll jump to some other great conclusion, like it's a ghost or, you know, it's a phase wall or, right. you know, something else.
0: There is a lot of misdirection and all kinds of, you know, D&D.
3: It's a polymorph
0: dragon. <laughs> I mean, right. You never know. <laughs> right. That's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, I'm sure everybody's going to be clamoring for this uh, uh, write-up of illusion uh, magic that you're yeah. k- keeping in your backpack. (laughs) The one
3: I keep canning. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They'll
0: show the light of day at some point, (laughs) uh, maybe in an article or something like that. But uh, very cool. Good to to get a a deep dive on illusions. Um, If people have more questions, where can they direct them to, Mr. Jeremy?
3: Uh, The best place to reach me is on Twitter where I am at Jeremy E. Crawford.
0: Awesome. Uh, and you can throw me some uh, ideas for uh, the, I guess it would be the theater spell, not the playwright spell, uh, for how we're going to go on tour uh, through Faerun and uh, the rest of the D&D multiverse with our show. Maybe me and Shelly will make a, a
3: show. Yes. <laughs> so, I, I want you to write that adventure. Yeah, it looks like uh, a fun,
0: illusory, uh, uh. yeah. Are we in inside the, of the play? Yep. What's happening? Is it the holodeck? Mm-hmm. I think it'll be fun. All right, cool. Well, thank you very much, guys. Uh, I'm at Greg Tito. You can talk to me there, but we'll be back uh, with more. Uh, Dragon Talk segments next week. Thanks. That was a really good segment. Oh, that I just listened to. I loved it. Did you enjoy it? Yes. Because I feel like I know a lot more about what happened uh, in those worlds, and or uh, that
1: yeah. was knowledge filling my headspace.
0: <laughs> you were—I didn't realize you can make any sound with your mouth. You're like a foley artist.
1: I am very talented.
0: It's true. What was that?
1: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like that, Ryan? There was like
0: a, it was like it's half Transformer, <sighs> half like a crawling, creeping monster. I don't
1: know what that is.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, that's up for our audience to decide okay. what, what that monster and or character is make going to be. Make a
1: monster out of. That's like, I should have my own show.
0: Like create a sound effect and then, and then make a monster. A monster from yeah, yeah, yeah. It? All
1: right. Let's do that. Okay. So has Mike started his show? Why don't you pitch, a, pitch Bart that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pitch it Tonight. Pitch it. Tonight. Over some potato leek soup. Oh, delicious. Mm-hmm. Do you want tons, to come over? I have tons of it. I, would. I made it in the crock pot. <laughs>
0: done it and just done. just
1: kept making. Like, well, this is a lot of soup. <laughs> this is so much soup. Does anyone no one... in this house even like potato leek soup? <laughs> and Quinn's like,
0: no. Oh, mommy, yeah. Quinn was
1: no. like, no. I mean, that smells like vomit and old cheeseburgers.
0: And then she's, he's like, poop. <laughs> <And Yep>. then... <laughs> <laughs> Our kids know each <laughs> other. They're on the same wavelength. Uh, let's call up Alexandra and ask her whether she likes uh, uh, potato leaf soup potato if she wants soup. to come over. I got enough. I think there's plenty.
1: Feed the whole neighborhood.
0: I like it. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Oh. <laughs> How's it going?
4: It's going pretty well. Um, I want to thank you for having me on because this completes my circuitous plan of revenge. <gasps> Shelly, next time you drop a water bottle on someone, make sure you finish the job. Oh, no. (laughs) It was you? (laughs) The whole
1: time? That's why she wants to be on here.
0: That Uh makes total sense.
1: Ah, Were you at PAX Unplugged? I was not. Oh, thank God. (laughs) Def- yeah, it was. It could have been you. Could have been anyone.
0: That's what you call drama, people. That's it way, was you. Way to do that. Thank you so much for uh, for calling in, Alexander. No, you're totally
1: classing up this joint. I'm like your soothing, <laughs> soft voice is just good. Yeah, like professional. Yeah. It's about time we had someone
4: professional. <laughs> uh, yeah, I spent uh, about an hour before this doing vocal exercises. So, oh. yeah. I-
0: that's the way to do it, so yeah, we wanted to have you on because uh uh I don't know, I've seen your name pop up a lot on Twitter about you know talking about Dungeons and dragons and uh uh you you've played on a bunch of twitch streams as well
4: um actually, I haven't oh, you
0: haven't I feel like i've I've seen other people that I know playing with you, so maybe that's that's where I'm confused there
4: yeah, it's um I have a very weird online presence where I am constantly adjacent to people, so oh. <laughs> I know a lot i i, I do. Uh, play and hang out with a lot of people who are on Twitch streams, my name does just sort of circulate and come up. It is true. It is true.
0: So when did you start uh, playing Dungeons & Dragons?
4: I started playing in the 80s, when it was kind of at its peak pop culture saturation, the Mm -hmm. Saturday morning cartoon, Mm -hmm. board games, books. And the funny thing is the role-playing game was the last part of the (laughs) D&D franchise that I found out about. Oh, We just we my my brothers and I, we saw the cartoon and it was so incredible. And it was apparent from it that Dungeons and Dragons was this pre-existing thing. But we had no clue what it was. And then there were toys in the in the toy store aisle uh, that had nothing to do with the cartoon except being Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. Then we found novels and board games and eventually we found the game and it all sort of clicked.
0: Oh. That makes sense. When did, uh, when so did you did you get the the action figures and kind of play with them or was it just in the store?
4: Oh, we had a couple of the action figures. Yeah. Um, they weren't, since they weren't the characters from the cartoon, I couldn't tell you who they were <laughs> at this point. Um, the only
0: one I remember is the the Bobby the Barbarian.
1: I had a Minotaur. You had a Minotaur? I mean, I, like recently. Oh. I still have them somewhere. Really? Yeah. I just,
0: because I was a kid too in the 80s, and I just, there was something about that, like having the, uh, the, the big club that the barbarian kind of hits down, that I yep. just remember, like that is the, the image that's cemented in my brain from that cartoon.
4: Yes. My favorite was uh, Presto the Wizard. Mm. And I still, there's only one gag from the cartoon I remember, and that is the, the only conjuring spell he casts that worked was when eric the cavalier dared him to summon an aircraft carrier so he reaches into his hat and says abracadavy united states navy (laughs) and then the camera pulls back and they're standing and up to their like ankles in swamp water and there's this aircraft carrier in the background like right right behind them like deck 100 feet up in the air so it is of no use to them at all but it worked (laughs) but he did it
0: did you so did you follow the the storyline of the of the cartoons did you are you one of those people who are at the edge of your seat waiting to see how it actually concludes
4: um I was very I was very disappointed that we didn't get the the final episode as a child but you know most most of the cartoons of the 80s uh, never really had resolution either so I just sort of eventually rolled with it and it's kind of I don't know my storytelling philosophy is that I'm not I think this is why I like role playing games, but I like the middle parts of stories better than the beginning or the end. So mm. I'm content to just imagine that yeah. the adventure keeps going on. Do yeah. you can
1: write your own ending? Exactly. So when you discovered that D and D was a role playing game, did you guys did you play it? Is that when you started playing it or was it at a different time?
4: Oh, yes. Yes, we started playing, um, I want to say it was about 1989, so I was only about nine. Uh, We were in a small town, no comic shop or hobby store. Mm -hmm. Um, So we kind of, we were one of those rare groups where there was uh, nobody, you know, there's usually the one experienced friend who starts a group and teaches everybody Mm -hmm. else. We had to teach each other, so we got a lot of it wrong, but that's part of the fun. Oh, yeah. That is
0: part of the fun, yeah. I've heard from pe- folks like that, too, who are like their parents just bought it for them with like no context. And was right. like, here, figure it out. Okay.
4: Yeah, so we had like, we we had cobbled together a sort of Frankenstein edition out of a mix of first and second edition AD&D books mm. and the various flavors of basic that were floating around. We didn't have any kind of guide or uh, didn't understand how it all went together. Um, I had, I found at a garage sale, Early on in our uh, early on in our uh, experimenting with the game, I found a copy of the Magenta Basic D and D box with the uh, little blue, dull blue extruded plastic dice that you had to shade in with a crayon. Oh yeah! And it came with module, uh, I think it was B two, the Keep on the Borderlands, and it's you know it's just a little short adventure, but that was that was like the first. Pre-written scenario that I had, so I just turned it into a campaign setting, based around this keep. The players moving in. There was politics and there was economics. Uh, there was uh, a a kobold uprising, revolutionary group. It was it was a lot of fun. That is cool. So, were you the dungeon master, or did you guys take I, turns with that? Um, I pretty much. I I, ha, I am. I am. My, my my gift and my curse is that I'm really good at understanding complex things. So even though I was not the oldest of my siblings, I have an older brother and a younger brother who are interested. I was sort of the eternal game master of any game that we played. Oh, at. yeah. So, um, which I don't mind. I'm a storyteller by nature. Um, well, it sounded like the, the
0: cool idea that you brought to keep on the borderlands of like making it. Yeah, you know, a, a political story and a revolution like that's that seems like you you took to it immediately.
4: Yeah, that's uh, it was a pretty natural fit.
0: <laughs> that's awesome.
4: A little
1: foreshadowing for your future. Exactly mm-hmm. things that you would come to write about.
0: <laughs> Very and, true. And
1: I like the way the idea of cobbling different editions together and different things that you're finding out there because it's kind of like that's kind of like D and D. It is just you it's, know play by your own rules, kind of make things up, tailor it to fit you. It's teaching
4: generations of children to be game designers in a way. You know, this is this is jumping ahead, but that's, that's really one of my favorite things about uh, the current fifth edition
2: mm.
4: is the way that it draws just so much of what is good about every edition of Dungeons and & Dragons and makes it presentable um, when... I I was one of, I I was a pretty big fan of fourth edition, but the thing I didn't like about it is I found it difficult to approach uh for newbies there was not really an on-ramp when it launched and i used to talk about this on the forums and people would say well that's not how you play dungeons and dragons you have to have you have to like apprentice to somebody and have them teach you and i'm like this is not the way that you advance a hobby <laughs> that's, right what about all what about all of the people the poor kids in small towns buying books at garage sales like i did you know
0: Yeah, you need to have that like that onboarding. I think the 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 D and D starter set uh, for fifth edition does a good job of that uh, now, but there still is more that could be done as far as like picking it up and playing it immediately.
4: Oh, absolutely! Um, You know,
0: (laughs) other people talked. uh, Go ahead.
4: I was going to say in the intro, I think Shelley described my career as uh, a lot of words, and that's probably the most accurate. I'm going to put that on my business card. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Lots of words. So, uh, like one of the, one of the, s- s- several of the words that I, I say on Twitter, um, I, I go into the, uh, I do explan- ex- explanatory threads about the, uh, the nomenclature in Dungeons and Dragons. And that's one of the things where I try to identify things that are stumbling blocks for new players, like the difference between the attack action and attacking and all that stuff. And it's just, I feel there could be a little more clarity, but, for sure. Yeah. And that's,
0: you know, we we try to 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 have segments like uh we're talking to Jeremy. I'm always I love talking to Jeremy Crawford and and getting at the heart of the design intent about some of this stuff because that's you know, you learn so much more just by asking questions and having that person. That's where what you were talking about the apprentice master, you know, dungeon master relationship kind of comes in play. Like you don't really learn uh, as well, when you're just here's a manual of, no. of stuff uh, uh, to figure it out, uh, but you learn when you when you're, you're having a relationship with uh, with a game or something like that. So yeah,
1: yeah. it's a cool idea. D yeah, you should have... come with an apprentice.
0: <laughs> it should <laughs> not the apprentice because that yep. gets into total other territory. But yeah, no.
4: <laughs> so yeah, I have learned so much about game design just from uh, watching. Uh, his name just fell out of my head. I was gonna call him Jeremy Clarkson, but that's somebody else. <laughs> Crawford. <laughs> Crawford. Jeremy Crawford. Yes. On um, on the Twitter. Um just just uh just just reading his, his answer tweets to people explaining the way the rules interact with each other and the balance considerations.
0: Those and, are fascinating.
4: Yeah, and it's like both both uh him and Mike Merles will often tell people you can probably get away. With being laxer than the intended rule on this, but it, this this rule exists for balance considerations,
2: mm-hmm.
4: and it's it's you know you can you can you can kind of figure out which rules how to not not just how the rules are made, but how you can play with them as a DM.
0: Right, right. My my favorite parts of the of, of Jeremy's interactions with folks is when it's like this is how language works. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, my favorite is my favorite is. Uh, I just like when the answer is basically like yes, it does what it says.
0: Right, <laughs> you're trying to ask the question because you have a point of view of like, oh, is it going to be like this? Well, I'm like, no, it's actually wrong as written. This so is you what wrote we wrote it this
1: way, but what I think you meant,
4: this <laughs> is yeah. my way. When I when I when I'm answering uh, questions on on Twitter or other social media, uh, when the question is, does this count as that? Like, does a monk's? unarmed strike count as a finesse weapon. My answer is that nothing counts as anything. <laughs> um, they are what they are. It's 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 very much a role playing game, not a guessing game. For say. sure,
0: it's all explained there. Although you know, there's some corner
4: cases there, and things. There, yeah, there are some corner cases, and there are there is some some of the nomenclature where they're recycling the same words for different purposes can uh, can get a little confusing. Right. But just just as a rule of thumb, if you stop looking for what counts as what a lot of things fall into place. That's a good point. That is good. So yeah.
1: along those lines, if, you, if someone comes to you and says, I, I'm, I'm interested in learning how to play Dungeons and & Dragons and I can't find an apprentice anywhere, where would you point them? What, what do you think is the best place for someone to, to learn about D&D?
4: Well, this is a little outside my interests, but I have heard from so many people that uh, watching the, uh, the podcast games... Uh, mm-hmm. like, like Acquisitions Incorporated and the other one whose name, it, Critical Role. Yeah. Um, just those kinds of things. Um, you know, I, M- Mike Merles had a great Twitter thread that was about how the, the streaming community really revolutionized how people learned the game, which changed how they designed the game. Because 4th Edition... Uh, the big online community for D&D was people sitting around in forums arguing Mm -hmm. about character optimization and corner cases, and now suddenly you can watch people being goofy.
2: Yeah. Right.
4: Uh, Sitting around a table and just having fun. You can see both how the rules work and how loose the rules are. Right. It's kind
1: of like having hours and hours of live focus groups just in front of you. Mm -hmm. You know, that's actually the first time that I had read about Mike saying that in that Twitter thread was when I was reading your blog when I knew we were gonna be talking to you. And I was like, that's fascinating. I never really like thought about how much the game changed based on watching people play it or how people play it. But mm-hmm. yeah, that that completely yeah. makes sense.
0: Yeah, and I think the the, 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 the People like yourself, like talking about the game and having like mm-hmm. a conversation, even just mentioning how you were talking about the the nomenclature, about yeah. how these terms work and interact together. Like that I, I didn't. There were forums ten years ago, but that was there, though those weren't the kind of discussions that people were having on the public space.
4: Oh, right. I don't think so. Yeah. No it was a, it was a very it was a very different um, you know it was more of an in group. type environment and it's it wasn't necessarily anybody trying to be exclusive as as a whole community but uh you know it's just it's easier to get into a ongoing private conversation if you already understand what's happening um my friend i tend to tweet about dungeons and dragons when i have insomnia which is every night (laughs) (laughs) so so tune into my twitter at at 3 a.m uh (laughs) Eastern time. Anyway, I was tweeting about it uh, last night. Actually, about my my open gaming license project that has been ongoing for a while. Um, I was talking about the balance considerations of it and how they uh, compare to the the design. Ethos oh, right, because you were talking about your
0: your, your spell points. Uh, uh, yeah. Yes, and, and yeah. how the the economy for the levels six through nine was totally different. Yeah, I was I was I was watching that.
4: Oh yeah. So so my friend Amanda, Amanda the Great on Twitter um, I hope she doesn't mind that I just mentioned her handle but, um, <laughs> uh, Anyway, so her. she tweets she tweeted at me that she only understands about one in three of my D&D tweets but she <laughs> loves reading them. And my thought is that if I keep doing this eventually she's going to understand two out of three of them and then maybe she'll start playing and uh, then she'll get three out of three.
0: For sure, right? And Pushing that conversation forward I think is cool. So when, uh, going back a little bit, because uh, I feel like we skipped over uh, 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 when you got into the game and then yada, yada, yada to right Summer, now. Sound edition. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, where was, where was the transition there? Like, what, uh, after you were playing, you know, learning all the systems cobbling together that thing of first AD&D and uh, all that. Uh, yeah, what, what, what happened next?
4: Okay, so what happened next? is I went through the period that a lot of uh, gamers I think did in the 90s where I decided that I was too cool for school <laughs> and I wanted to play GURPS and I wanted to play Riffs and Dungeons and Dragons was just this flawed dinosaur of a thing. And, Dope. you know, um, so, but, Interestingly, now, you know, I went through the when I was a child, I played with childish things and now I'm like looking back and going the childish things were awesome. And I'm realizing most of what I wanted to do with those other role playing games was sort of recreate my experiences with D&D, but sort of stripped of the f- parts that frustrated me. Mm. Um, so I missed I missed like the second half of the 90s in D&D. I was I was playing uh, I was mostly messing around with with GURPS um, and other systems. And That's then cool. I played a uh, lot
0: of, I played Murps around that time, which was the Middle Earth. Middle Earth.
2: Yeah.
4: Funnily enough, we actually discovered that before right before we, we discovered Dungeons and Dragons was a role playing game. So that gave us a little bit of context when we did stumble across it. Nice. So, yeah. And then 2000 happened. Um, the The third edition came out. I think if I had not been. Sort of transitioning into adulthood and figuring out working and and things like that, I probably would have been big into it because it was had a lot of the first steps away from the things I found constricting and counterintuitive about uh, the previous editions of D and D. But I basically missed third edition. Mm. Um, I started to just started started being aware of it right around when people were talking about the upcoming fourth edition and that that's makes when sense. I got that's when I got back into it was fourth edition I had and you friends. said you
0: were you were a fan uh, of it at the time
4: yes and i'm i'm willing to admit this
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> i liked it
4: i did too so i did I too. Thought it, yeah i thought i thought it did not explain itself well um you know the a lot of the common complaints i thought or baggage that people were bringing to it, like the idea that healing surges and martial powers were like video gamey and things. I just this my point of view on it was everybody gets into Dungeons and Dragons thinking that it's going to be like you know all of the epic fantasy comics and movies and video games and things they've played, and then when we're talking old school, they end up being one of the seventeen people who died on the way to where the actual hero story
0: (laughs) right yeah but i never found that with fourth edition like i i I liked that it was simple enough to be like all right these are the powers that all you know characters are using uh and and it made sense to me at the time but it wasn't until you know a few years of campaign play that i started to see some of the uh some of the holes in it at least from for my tastes where uh the, the the fun part about spell casting and things like that is that you, there's a little bit of, of uh, I don't know, like a system behind it, right? And if mm-hmm. everybody's powers are all, you push them to and you do X amount of fire damage or whatever yeah. the thing is, it was hard to extrapolate, like, well, what does that mean if you're using that power to uh, be pushed across a chasm? Like, can you use a wind mm-hmm. power to, to do that? And you know, I think fifth edition, rightly so, put back some of the the real world uh, uh, mechanics into it, so it wasn't everything was combat based and everything was you know mm-hmm. uh, uh, grid based.
4: Yeah, and this is one of the things is I think fourth edition's formulaic standardizing of how spells and powers were presented was very much trying to please an unpleasable segment of the fan base that really demanded that uh, anything that was slightly less powerful than whatever they deemed optimal was therefore broken and worthless. And anything slightly more powerful than anything else was was too good not to choose. Um and so they tried to make everything very mathematically one for one.
2: Yeah.
4: And um, you know, if you've read my Twitterings or my blogging, my standard question when somebody talks to me about character optimization is optimal for what? For what purpose are you optimizing? And it's always combat of the sort that I call the the spherical goblin in a vacuum problem. You're not imagining there's any corner cases. You're not imagining there's any surprises. You're not leaving any room for improvisation from the DM or the players. You're just assuming that you get an ISO 9000 standard encounter with the enemies arrayed just so, and uh, you're just then unloading whatever is mathematically, according to your understanding of game theory, the most precise way of killing all of those goblins.
0: Yeah. I think you're right. I think there, there was a bit of, of making sure that everything was, was quote-unquote balanced. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, I think a lot for the for the miniatures game as well as for the fourth edition itself. Mm-hmm. And right, and I, was, I mean, I, we keep bringing up conversations with Jeremy Crawford, but he said in one of the most recent sage advices that it, that we recorded, which you may be listening to on this very podcast, okay. uh, before this interview. Uh, but yeah, he was like, "It's optimal for who? Uh, optimal for what? Like uh, uh, someone might want to. Uh, I mean, which is just what you, your question was, but of, of uh, a person who wants to 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 have a." Uh, Oh, you know, I maybe mean, this is actually on Twitter recently where someone was talking about uh, a familiar. and Like, it's always optimal to have a familiar that's an owl because of all the amazing things that an owl can do. Uh, it can fly and see in the dark and blah, blah, blah. And Jeremy's rejoinder to that was just like, well, some people want to have a cat for a familiar. And that's I, yeah. optimal for them. And yeah. it doesn't matter about mm-hmm. the mechanics of it because yeah. it's not what their fantasy is. Yeah,
4: Yeah. my, my, mo- my moment when I uh, sort of had The Awakening you were talking about with 4th Edition... Uh, was when I was having a conversation with somebody in the, in the Wizards community after they introduced the first shadow, uh, not, the first, yeah, the first assassin, the, the shadow-powered assassin character in 4th mm-hmm. edition. And I thought it was amazing because, you know, they can stab people with shadows, they can stab your shadow to death to, to, to kill you, they can lasso you with a shadow. And... Um, the character optimization boards just thought it was like the weakest, most underpowered thing ever, and it was a couple of points of damage off from everything else. And I'm like, Okay, but what about the appeal of you can lasso somebody with a shadow and pull them over to you and then stab them to death by stabbing their shadow and they're like, But you're still just it's still just a pull two and a <laughs> and it's, like, it's like, you know I, I feel like I, I, I do feel like uh you know the player does have to bring some of the imagination, but they, but but there was there was a point there.
0: Yeah, I hear that.
4: Do you teach? Uh, not formally. Huh. I just feel like <laughs> so. you would
1: like you have a very interesting, like relatable approach
4: to game design and theory. You would be. Yeah. You would be yeah. a good teacher. Yeah, I, te- I teach a class every night. Three at 3 in the morning. Oh. <laughs> like when
0: you're insom- Insomnia t- uh, tweeting. The
4: Guide to Dungeons and Dragons.
0: That's true, actually. Yeah. Uh, so any you know, uh, 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 university administrators out there yep. who are looking for a, uh, a, a faculty member to teach uh, game design? They, be, they do. Online. Yeah, exactly. Make it happen, right? Yep. University of Phoenix. We're talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> Just point, point, point it to Alexander's Twitter.
2: There you go. And
0: you will learn. Uh, so yeah, are you playing? What are you playing in now? What are, are, are you running any campaigns?
4: Well, I got a couple different things going, uh, and a couple other different things. I'm trying to get off the ground. Uh, I'm actually. I'd like to talk about a D and D podcast uh, I'm doing. Ooh, cool! Uh, this it's very fledgling. Um, we have had to shuffle the group around a couple of times, and so every time we do this, since we've just kind of starting. Uh, We've had some false starts and stops to it, but uh, this is with, um, excuse me, it started off under uh, the title of Dash Attack. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea was, it's a uh, gaming podcast discussing uh, queer and LGBT uh, sensibilities and presence. Mm-hmm. In gaming, uh, both tabletop and and electronic, and uh, they decided that the name was not very indicative of the message, so now the podcast is is called Console Queers, and uh, oh. they have a spinoff called Dungeon Queering, where it's a bunch of trans people we're playing Dungeons and Dragons. That's awesome. I love that. Those are great names. So um, yeah, we have been we have been we have shuffled the group around a couple of times as we find our footing. And uh, as of next week, I am actually going to be DMing that, the perpetual oh, DM nice. problem. I was very excited yep. to actually be playing a character. But <laughs> oh, I just kind of assumed uh,
1: you were going to be the DM. <laughs> they
4: probably did too. So, yeah, so I went from playing my I'm, – I'm very happy with my character and I'd like to put her in something um, or maybe get back to her if I can tag somebody else in his DM. Uh, I made a halfling fighter. Because I like proving to people that there's no, quote, suboptimal character. (laughs) Um, Named Didi Paradisi. Uh, Didi are initials because Danger is her middle name. And Danger is also her first name. (laughs) 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 That's the
0: best catchphrase
4: ever. (laughs)
1: Danger is my middle name. Also my first name.
4: Exactly.
0: Was it your last name at some point? But then she decided to change it.
4: Yeah. Didi. Yeah. Um, and then I also have a home game that I'm very fond of. Uh, free, it's, it's on hiatus for the holidays, but otherwise, uh, frequently, we'll, we'll restart on Saturday on, uh, on January. Uh, so Saturday evenings, my long-term Twitter followers know that I start uh, posting out-of-context D&D quotes from it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really sure I'd like to like write some of it up because we've got great characters Um
0: yeah, I love that. That's almost like a Jack Handy, uh, uh, out-of-context D&D yeah. quotes. I feel like that could be a good book. That would be good. Yeah.
1: Do you ever yeah. do any of your D&D characters or games or store, the worlds that you're building in D&D, make their way into your writings, to your novels?
4: I am glad that you asked because I started writing something uh, for NaNo this year. Oh, and wow. Then I got sick, so it's no longer a NaNo project, but I'm still working on it.
0: That's good. I mean not um, good that you got sick but I'm glad you're talking yeah. on. It. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to hear about that. <laughs>
4: yeah, I'm glad I got sick too. <laughs> uh, so this this started off as my attempt to uh I wanted to cr- uh do a sort of online forum style game, uh maybe play by mail. It it didn't actually get anywhere. Uh but I made I made a campaign setting that I called Deep Jammer. It is a combination of Star Trek Deep Space 9 and Spelljammer. Oh.
0: Oh, yeah. I bet there's a bunch of people in the, uh, in the community that would love to some, see something like that.
4: Yeah. yeah, so I started, it didn't work out as a campaign. I uh, just couldn't pull the time together for it and uh, kept being distracted by real life. So, But I already had like a 30,000 word campaign Bible with ca- uh, background characters and the setting described and everything. So it's like, oh, I can start doing... You know, I can start doing my nano. I've already written my story Bible here, so wow,
0: thirty thousand wow. words just on the Bible—that's crazy.
1: Yeah, that's pretty. Mean.
4: I told you she's
1: she's a lot of words, <laughs> a lot of words, <laughs> a lot of words,
4: <laughs> so many words. That's amazing. Yeah. So, but yeah, so it's. Uh, I have been posting. I have been posting uh, the excerpts during the first third of November. Uh, every day, I had more excerpts of my daily writing. It's all very rough because you know it was a frantic draft. But uh, on my Patreon page, um, under the tag "Jamming in the Deep," <laughs> nice.
0: It's uh, it's I, I feel, I've got Adele now so, uh, yep. going through my brain.
4: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think "Deep Jammer" is going to be the final, final title of that. Yeah. So, but I don't have I don't have a working title other than that. So.
0: That's good. I like that. So going back a little bit to the. Uh, uh, uh the the co- console queers and then the table with top one was dungeon queers is that what it was? Dun- dungeon, dungeon queering.
4: queering. Like dungeon engineering. Like dungeon but we're queering.
0: Oh, see I was I was going with the clearing the dungeon as the oh, like, oh like, come what on. what are you we're it, not we're not clearing it, it, we're queering it, which I thought was also very cool.
4: It works on two levels.
0: So. <laughs> it works on so That's, many levels. Yep. So is that podcast going to be just the 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 storytelling podcast or are you going to be more about like uh talking to people about uh, you know, like more like an interview thing like like Dragon talk is
4: it's gonna be the story okay um i th- I believe that uh the first episode or maybe two has already been posted. This is on the console queers patreon uh which is just patreon dot com slash console queers mm-hmm. um they all they have the one page where they have both their their electronic gaming, which is more of an interview talk format like this. And then also the dungeon one where we play Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so I don't know that there's there's quite a bit of a backlog uh, with all the shuffling we've done. I don't know the point where I start DMing is going to actually start going live, but uh, I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I, it's next week. I don't yet know what I'm doing, but
0: <laughs> well, it's a good thing you have insomnia, so you have plenty of yeah, time exactly. to uh, to to, to work on that. She
4: teaches her class though. <laughs> But it's about D&D, so I'm kind of, you know... Kind of always the thinking about are, it. Wheels are always spinning. Wheels are always spinning.
0: <laughs> so will the... Uh, so other than all the uh, the, the players being uh, uh, queer or in that community, uh, are the, the issues in the story going to be uh, about that as well? Or is it just going to come more naturally? Like, what, I mean, I want to get to the heart of the thing that you haven't planned yet. <laughs>
4: <laughs> we're okay. helping you. Well, <laughs> we're helping you talk it out on, yes.
0: on, uh, right now.
4: So, um, Well, ultimately, I sort of... Subvert basically everything I do in Dungeons and Dragons. Like you know, as a nine-year-old with the Keep on the Borderlands, um, right? You know, I wound up making the kobolds into revolutionaries and and kobold rights and everything. I was. I love that. So, um, in our in our in my home game, the one that's paused right now, um, the the uh, the group of adventurers. Uh, the setting there, I call it's it's a, it's a campaign setting I call Signs and Wonders Where the hype concept is magic went away a thousand years ago And it comes back all at once So like all of the wizards in the world are level one wizards mm.
2: uh,
4: And everybody is figuring out how magic works And this is actually part of how I teach Dungeons & Dragons sometimes Is because if the players don't have any concept, uh, you know you get the people who've been playing it for for twenty, thirty years, and they know what a beholder does, and and everything. And then, and then you get the players who are brand new, and none of none of the old surprises surprise them anymore. They know the mimic, they know the cloaker, they you know. Yeah. Um, but you get you get the brand new players, and you make magic brand new in the world, and it becomes just so much more of a wonder. Um, that's really cool. But, oh, that's a great idea. So they they so they have uh, but they they have settled in. In this att- in this town that was that was uh, sort of wiped out uh, in the chaos of uh of the return of magic uh they' this little shepherd village and they've built it up and it 's now the biggest city in the area every time I give them a magic item, no matter how cool I think it is, they immediately turn it into town infrastructure
0: interesting so they'll take like uh, a. <laughs> Like, uh, what's the name of the magic item that gives water? Uh, uh, it's the, like,
4: the, oh. the Everfull Flask or something like that? Yeah,
0: right. And you're like, oh, that's our like, fountain. Water.
4: Yeah, stuff like that. Oh, like um, Very generous. So, yeah. I, so I, I sometimes give them magic items that when I was a teenager with the Dungeon Master's Guide, I was just salivating over wishing somebody would actually run a game and I could get this. Like, like Darren's Instant Fortress. Yeah. I think they took that out into the field once. The other times it's just there looming next to a cottage in town, oh. so they've got a secure place. <laughs> I love that. that. Are you kidding me? I love the fact that they're very socially conscious. They have created they have created this, this, this workers utopia and they have they have made peace treaties with the orcs and kobolds and lizard folk around them and
0: um That's really cool. Yeah. Especially when, since when you first described this, this setting, I was like, man, this is like a metaphor uh, for, you know, the rise of technology in our current society and how like we, you know, because like, it's the same thing. Like all of a sudden you have a magical, you know, phone in your hand that can do all these, these yeah. crazy things where 15 years ago we didn't have that and now look where we are. Uh, so <laughs> I thought it would go that way, but th- it's amazing that it, they, they've ended up being this force for good.
4: Yeah.
0: I love it.
1: Yeah. That's nice. I kind of wish that we had a a dungeon master for you.
4: I just feel <laughs> bad that you, you just really want to be a player. <laughs> One of the times, I'll get on real funny or something and just jump into a pickup game. I guess. Oh yeah, there you there's, go. There's there's options. So true. Yeah, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's funny though. I keep I love. Again, I, lo- I, love, I love that my group is interested in building the town. I thought I would have to trick them into that part of it. And I right. love the fact that they're they're doing diplomacy instead of resorting to uh, murdering people and taking their stuff as the default. But then I will try to be like, okay, I'm going to set up a combat encounter, and there's no way that they are going to talk their way out of this. <laughs> and then they'll spit out something that's just like so perfect. And I'm like, okay, I can't not let that work just because I want them to have to fight this. But they're and just they're,
1: pacifists. Are they just resistant to wanting to fight, or what's their... well, They're not
4: pacifists. In fact, um, one of the party's rules is no recurring villains. If 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 they fight if they fight a foe who will not, uh, who will not sort of either make peace or become friends, then they make darn sure that they take them down. Oh and keep them. yeah. No recurring villains is the party motto. Uh, <laughs> Smart. Great. <laughs> right. Just uh, the most. Sort of the, the most, uh, I guess the face character for the party uh, is a Goliath paladin named Dirt, the friend of all living things. <laughs> and, you know, Goliaths have a very competitive culture. And when he heard about the concept of friendship, his idea for his life's great work is he is going to amass the most friends of anybody who ever lived.
0: Oh, no, he, he found out about Friendster.
4: <laughs> <laughs> uh, this did not impress the Goliath elders, which is why he was given the name Dirt as his deed name. Um, but he just shrugged and moved down to the lowlands, and now he's trying to amass friends. Uh, his motto is "No gods, no bad friends." Mm-hmm. I like the mottos.
0: Yeah, right. There's uh, your 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 characters are very good at branding. Yeah, and your it's, players it's are thinking. very good at branding.
4: <laughs> you could have your own T-shirt line. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, that's part of why I'd like to write this up, is because I think, I think people would really enjoy the characters in this game. Yeah, I I would. I
0: like hearing I about it. Have,
4: Yeah, I like what I'm hearing we, so far. We have a, uh, we have a. There's there's a warlock in our party, who introduces herself as a cleric of a god with an average amount of tentacles.
0: Oh, just the average amount, not yeah, too much, average, not too yeah. little.
4: Yeah. Just and a completely normal number of eyes. Yeah, <laughs> the, the usual amount of eyes and tentacles. No big deal. Which is different for different people, though. So you can be like, I'm not sure. Yeah,
0: whatever yeah. you think. Do they? Does that God always appear that way, or have you? Has have the characters actually seen a, a, an image of that God, or is it just whatever everyone else thinks is 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 the usual amount?
4: Well, we, it, the God has not made a, a, an on-screen appearance. I think it's. The kind of God where you, looking at it directly would not, you would not be in a state to describe to anybody how many tentacles or eyes it has.
0: Makes sense.
1: Yeah.
0: Very cool. What, what are what,
4: your, oh, sorry,
0: go on. I was just going to ask about the other players in this campaign.
4: Yeah, I want to hear more about them. <laughs> okay. So um, we have the party misanthrope is uh, Professor Gimir Stoneblade, a dwarven <laughs> professor of theology. A uh, dual class wizard cleric. Uh, mm. Theoretically, lawful good, but if he has, he, I just don't really have a motto, but he's got a catchphrase, which is, How can I turn this to my advantage? Oh. Okay.
2: Um,
4: he is. He. Uh, I did a heavily modified version of Death House to give them a sort of Halloween episode. And one of the things I put in it as like little throwaway token was a uh, cultist's diary written in blood and bound in skin Ugh. and it was just supposed to be about uh, you know the the dark secrets of the cult but the player decided that this surely must have arcane secrets he can learn to further his quest for arcane knowledge like and think. I'm like mm-hmm. I'm like okay if you want to do this um, it's not really the wizard type of magic it's more the god of an average number of tentacles type of magic but so I allowed him to keep the book and periodically make arcana checks to decipher rituals in it, which always had some sort of horrific cost. And it's not like they were secret costs. But so we had this long-running arc where the lawful good professor of theology kept dabbling with this book, trying to crack its secrets and, and uh, using it to cast higher-level spells than he could currently cast, like, Contact, Other Plane. Mm. Dangerous spells yeah. and all, always with a powerful cost. And at the point where he finally got to the point where the ritual that would have solved exactly the problem the party had required him to, to sacrifice five innocent lives. That's when he figured out that it was evil. <laughs> <laughs> and so he 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 burned it um, and then his so-called friends and the rest of the party uh, faked up another copy of it and put it under his pillow.
0: Oh, oh! as a, as a, as like, by the way, you didn't actually burn it. It's still here.
4: Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, he was, he he was fairly convinced that he was cursed (laughs) forever, for a while.
0: How can he turn that to his advantage?
4: (laughs) How could he? Then we (laughs) we have, uh, we have Vasha, the party pragmatist. Oh. Uh, She's a dwarven fighter. Um, she's the one who sort of codified the no recurring villains. Okay,
2: um, yep.
4: It, and when the party took a prisoner and they were trying to figure out what to do with them, she's the one who decided, since they also rule the city, that if they're going to have, you know, it's, it's one thing to kill somebody in combat, but uh, if if we're going to be killing people we have in custody, we need to actually have laws and courts for this. Um, but she's very much the party pragmatist, and she takes a sort of very Gordian approach to problem-solving. Um, we have Jitana, a, a forest gnome ranger. And in my in my magic-free, magic-just-came-back setting, uh, any race that has innate magic is from another plane. So she was actually swept in from the Feywild in the magical cataclysm. Oh. So she had an arc that involved trying to find out where the rest of her gnome village got swept to. That's neat. And uh, we just got a new player recently who this is her first time playing D&D. She really takes to the role-playing part, though. Uh, Dima, a true neutral Asomar monk mm. who uh she's doing a really great job of role-playing. She had been in a magical place of isolation uh, that was cut off from the rest of the world when magic went away. Mm. So she's neutral, but she has no experience with temptation. And so she has this really great uh, sort of vacillating dark desires with the the with with her angelic uh guardian got it trying to. so yeah and uh you know i i was talking about how they have infrastructure i i think i've mentioned all the characters i have to tell you about my favorite plot device i told you they use their magic items for infrastructure they have they have a well of worlds they refer to it as the not my problem portal oh they they do not use it to explore the multiverse they use it to dispose of things they don't want to deal with. Oh.
0: So what are they? What have they put through through that so far? It's
4: like a giant oh. cosmic trash chute. Like, yeah. like villains, they don't want to be resurrected. I think at one point there were these corrupted rust monsters that were spreading aberration underground. So they found a plane that looked nice and threw them into it. <laughs> You'll and like it. It'll be great as long as it, it looks turned, nice. I mean, they were dead. But they threw them into the positive energy plane, which A, resurrected them, B, and oh. B, started spreading their corruption throughout all of the higher planes. Oh. So, so, so a ticked-off angel came to the town of Vale, uh, demanding to speak to the defilers. Uh-oh. And everybody thought they were talk- he was talking about Gimur, the professor, who had been gone that week. So he, was, he <sighs> had to vouch, as a priest, he had to vouch for the good behavior and intentions of everybody else. Yeah, that's a tough one.
0: That is a tough one, but I like I like that having a a thing that you're like ah let's not think about it and put them through yeah. the shoot.
4: Yep. Not, not shoot. my problem, Portal.
0: Not my problem.
1: How portal. long has this group been playing together?
4: Oh geez. Uh might be two years now. I'm not I'm not even sure. It's been a while.
1: It's great that they're so in tune. Like they have the same ideas. Because sometimes you get a group that like you know there's a couple that really want the combat and the ones that are just after the story. But it sounds like they're all very.
4: On the same page, but we we do are. have to we do have to check in sometimes. Yeah, we do have to check in sometimes and make sure that everybody's getting what they want. Um,
0: that's good advice for any dungeon master out there. Yeah,
4: that is mm-hmm.
0: cool. Well, uh, that that so that's your home campaign, and I'm I'm looking forward to uh, uh, this new podcast that you're starting up. Hopefully, they, yeah. you build a lot of the same uh, bonds that you have with this group uh, with that group. I think that's going to be really exciting.
4: Yeah. I have high hopes.
0: What, uh, so yeah, where, uh, where can people find out? I mean, you mentioned a few of the Patreon's here and there, but where, where, where's a good laundry list of where people can check out your work and or when, uh, 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 dungeon, dungeon queering is, is going to be premiering.
4: Okay. If you don't want to follow my so many words on Twitter, and I, I never <laughs> hold it against people when they don't so many people like, Oh, I'll totally follow you. And then it's like, Oh, another 300 tweet thread. Okay. <laughs> um, so, if you don't want to follow that, I post. I try to post everything that I do anywhere onto my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Alexandra Aaron. Uh, same name that should be uh, sh- as, yeah. as displayed Tab- beneath <laughs> your, your picture, yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, I just had to switch tabs and check and make sure I had <laughs> it. <something>. I could
0: <laughs> mentally s- hear you switching tabs.
4: <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so uh, patreon.com slash Alexandra Aaron. That has got my fantasy, my fiction, my poetry. Um, I've basically uh, my 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 other blog has not really been updated for a while, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be doing my blogging over there. And uh, once my episodes of Dungeon Queering are going up, I will link them there. I, uh, you can also find them directly at Patreon.com/slash/consolequeers, all one word. So sweet. Yeah, Patreon's the best—the best way to uh, follow what I'm doing. If you don't want to wade through my Twitter,
0: love it, awesome. And just your Twitter is at Alexandra Aaron as well, right? If Correct. People do want to actually do, uh, lean into and the to the old insomnia tweets. Yeah, that makes sense. The
1: insomnia <laughs> tweets. <laughs> yep.
0: Thank you so much uh, for calling in. It was really awesome talking yeah. to you. I feel like I know. I want to uh,
4: take your class. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you for yep. for inviting me.
0: We'll sign up to your yeah. newsletter.
1: <laughs> <Okay>.
0: <laughs> awesome. We'll have you on again soon. Thanks a lot.
4: You
1: bet.
0: Bye. Okay. Bye. She's really
1: cool. That
0: is amazing. Uh, yeah, I feel like now after those descriptions, I want to jump into playing. That's with pretty
1: her. cool. Yeah, that's really really cool.
0: Yeah, I like. Uh, I, I like taking the magic items and putting them into into use in the town. Like yeah. that's that's an amazing thing. More I would want
1: to keep mine,
0: though. Well, you are a selfish, you know, a terrible selfish person. little
1: wizard. <laughs> I want my magic items. Give
0: me all my sorcerer <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Cool. Well, I hope uh, uh, more people do go and, and follow her because yes. uh, uh, they are. Uh, and this is maybe why I've seen more of her, her tweets at the right time is that, you know, that's when I'm looking at things. Three that,
1: in the morning?
0: Well, no, it's three in the morning her time. She's on but the East Coast. But it's our time. Well, I mean, it's. Not necessarily that. Get way. off
1: your Twitter.
0: At like ten or eleven PM our time, I'll check and I'll be like, oh, look at this amazing, you know, uh, 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 you know, uh, tweet you thread that. of of stuff to to go check out. Okay. Yeah, and it's interesting.
1: How's your Instagram doing?
0: Doing really well. i really? post a lot of stuff on there. Have you not followed me yet?
1: I. I think I'm following you. Yeah.
0: You know, my mom now follows me on Instagram, so Your I don't have to actually talk Instagram? to her. Yeah. No, she, she just follows me, I think, just to get pictures of my girls and stuff. But I Aww. went to the uh, uh, Roller Rink in, in White Center. Oh,
1: I did see a picture
0: of that. It was amazing. Really? I want to go back there all the time. Like, I love that did place. Did you
1: skate or just oh, the
0: yeah, kids? I absolutely skated. Fiona did for the first time, got hers trapped on.
1: Really? And
0: Whoa. <laughs> and she was. <laughs> Was, was fearless. She was absolutely fearless, falling down and
1: well, you know, scary, hurting herself you know.
0: constantly, but then got a, you know, never cried. Do they cried. wear
1: helmets? Do they wear... Nah. Oh.
0: Nah, you don't need helmets. You don't? There's so many other people. There's, there's staff there that are, uh, you know, if you fall down, they're like, are you okay? You're like, good. Oh, and so yeah. that,
1: that fixes a broken, bloody head. You don't are go you okay? that fast.
0: You can't go that fast. <laughs> Really.
1: Are there people, like, skating you know back, what? shooting the duck? And- you shouldn't go. No, I shouldn't. <laughs> I'm not putting
0: my kid on skates. You're like, I don't like boats. I don't like skates. I don't like anything involving any kind of I don't of like anything injury. where
1: my kid is going to bleed. I just <laughs> can't.
0: But that's, there's a chance. That doesn't mean that it will actually happen, right? Mm. You know, if you walk outside, you might get struck by lightning. You shouldn't go outside.
1: I'm okay with me. It's him that he I worry He
0: could about. get struck by lightning. Don't let him play outside ever.
1: He's never outside. Well, good. No. <laughs> he never goes outside.
0: Nice. Well, we'll, we'll leave his adventuring uh, into to Dungeons & Dragons.
1: Uh... I, should I tell you we're playing dungeon with him? No way, really? Yeah. Nice. Did it work? Yeah, he loves yeah.
0: it. He gets treasures and holds on to them? And oh, yeah, yeah. Does then, not use them for the greater good like Alexander's yeah, group No, he
1: keeps on. He holds on. I got another cup. I got a gold cup. He doesn't know what it means, but he likes it.
0: He's he's developing into a good person. Yeah, <laughs> slowly he's over time. <laughs>
1: <coughs> no, he's good. He likes it. Awesome. Yep.
0: Well, we got to get uh, uh, out of here. Okay. We'll take uh, okay, a, a, a hiatus. Where can people find out about you and everything that you're doing, uh, Shelley?
1: I'm not doing anything. That's true. Yes, yeah, right. so you can. Follow me on Twitter though at Shelly Moo. That's you. That's me. And
0: what about your game company that you kind of like do yeah, stuff with? There's this
1: company called Avalon Hill. I have never heard of it. Mm-hmm. They've been around. New, new company. Newish. Yeah, newish. Um, just like a year or so, plus like sixty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there, follow Avalon Hill on Twitter at Avalon Hill Two Number Two Avalon Hill Two, and you'll find so all the poop, sorts of poop great emoji. Stuff. Avalon Hill poop, poop emoji? No. That's, that's what you have to follow? <laughs> not, not poo. Not do. Two. 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 Not okay. number two. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, I did say number you two. Did say number I did.
0: Two. I'm sorry. I'm a child, just like you. You are. Old.
1: Yeah, Do you know true. Quinn? Yeah, no, yeah, he's my best friend. <laughs>
0: he's a good guy. Yeah. Uh, you can follow me. I'm at Greg Tito. Uh, ask me any silly questions you want. You mentioned the uh, uh, underscore, uh, uh, not the underscore, but the Instagram, and I'm at Greg underscore Tito. That's where the underscore comes. Oh out. yeah.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah, makes sense. I better be uh, following him. So yeah, definitely uh, <laughs> follow us if you like annoying weird things on the Twitters. Uh, but if you want to find out about Dungeons and Dragons, go to Dungeons and Dragons com. Follow uh, at Wizards underscore D N D for all. The Latest uh, crazy news that's happening. I feel Lots
1: like of news happening.
0: We've got so many uh, amazing partners doing amazing things, such as uh, the the next guest that we're going to be having come in here very soon.
1: Aww. Yeah, and those of you who are listening on
0: the uh, on the podcast, you'll hear that uh, <laughs> the next time we release it,
2: yeah,
0: it'll be out there. But we're talking to Trent Oster, which will be really Trent Oster. Really uh. All right, well, that's it uh, for this episode of Dragon Talk. Yep, we're closing it out. got go. uh, Some new tagline.
1: <laughs> Rocks, Rocks
2: fall. fall. Everyone dies.